Hello and welcome to the Trinity Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. Today's episode is with Catherine Gale, who's a certified coach and consultant nurse with nearly three decades of experience in the NHS as a senior nursing leader working with patients during menopause. She's the founder of Fluxstate, whose mission is to empower women to deal with the challenges they face around the menopause so they can move from a state of uncertainty, known as flux, to finding a state of flow. On top of helping thousands of women through her practice in groups, Catherine's also going through a challenging menopause herself, so she has both decades of clinical experience and personal experience to fall back on. So in today's episode, we discuss perimenopause and menopause, how it can often happen a lot earlier than people think, and sometimes with life-changing consequences if people don't know how to manage it. We also discuss HRT, the many different types, and the mistakes often made when prescribing it by GPs and the practitioners out there, who it's right for and who it's not, and what other things you can do to help manage menopause. So it's a really fascinating episode that will really help shed a light on how to thrive during perimenopause and menopause. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Catherine, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about kind of the top menopause myths out there, as I think you're one of the best people to speak to about this, as well as kind of the truths to hopefully kind of empower our listeners with the knowledge so they can make the best choice for them during perimenopause and menopause. Now, before we get into that, though, I think it's important to kind of have some context around where you've come from, what you do. So I know you're a certified coach, you're a consultant nurse in women's health, um, and you've helped empower and you are helping thousands of women through menopause. But let's rewind a little bit first. So like, it's a big question. So feel free to go in, into as much depth as you, you want. But like, how did you end up here? Well, I think it's a great place to start because here I was a menopause nurse looking after thousands of women going through uh, menopause and I wasn't able to spot it in my myself so I was 40 years old I was a mum of a toddler um, I'd gone back to work when he was four and a half months old uh, he didn't sleep very well I wasn't sleeping very well anxiety was through the roof and fatigue I was just utterly fatigued and I was a matron I was managing uh lots of staff, 70 staff. And I just got to the point where I didn't feel I had enough energy for my job, for my family. I felt like I was failing as a mum, failing as a, as a wife and, and failing as a nurse. And to everyone around me, I looked like I was really thriving in the role, but I was barely surviving. Uh, an incident at work happened where I felt like I didn't show up in my best uh, self. And I resigned. I walked out uh, silently quitting a job that I had worked really hard and enjoyed and enjoyed, but just felt the pressure was too much. It was three years later that I got my first hot flush. And I've been on this journey of coaching and counselling and CBT for the anxiety and antidepressants as well. And suddenly I had that first hot flush and it was like a light bulb. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the perimenopause. If I can't spot this in myself and working alongside lots of gynecology consultants, nobody said to me, could this be the perimenopause? Um, and I started on HRT and within three weeks I was starting to feel more myself. 
And I'm just really passionate about helping women to understand their bodies, really understand the changes that are going on and ask themselves, could this be the perimenopause? And then thinking about how, before they get to that stage, how do they want to navigate through it? making sure they've got all the information they need to make a decision about whether they want to try herbal remedies, whether they want to try cognitive behavioural therapy, whether they want to try uh, try HRT, and empowering them to ask for what they need. So I did go back into the NHS after I started HRT, and I absolutely loved it. But I felt like I could have a bigger impact on the outside of the NHS. And so I have my own menopause clinic. Um, I'm CBT trained, so I support women to change their mindset around this time, empower them to start really connecting with their instincts, um, asking for the information they need in order to make an empowered decision. So uh, although I went back into the NHS the second time I left my job, it was much more graceful. It was because I wanted to set up um, my a flux state community and I've now got two and a half thousand women that I'm supporting through the menopause amazing and I want to dig into a little bit more about your story then so you said you didn't even realize you know you were going through the perimenopause for quite some time like what kind of age I know it's different for everyone but what kind of yeah. age for you did do you think that started in retrospect I had fertility treatment for my son. So it was a long journey of fertility treatment. And I think after that, um, I think I almost went straight into the perimenopause. So I had my son at at 38. um, And at 40, I walked out on my job. And I didn't start HRT until I was 43. So actually, I think it was starting in in my late 30s. Um, And for one in 100 women, it will start under 40. And we've got this misconception that, oh, I'm too young to be in the menopause. We hear doctors say that as well to their patients. Oh, you're just too young for it to be the menopause. But actually, one in 100 will go through it under 40. Um, So I think it's important that we're asking that question, could it be the perimenopause? And it's a whole different symptoms for different people. Quite often it is those psychological ones that the stress, the increase in anxiety, the changes in mood before any change to our period. So irregular periods tend to come later. Hot flushes tend to come later. Um, so it's it's having a knowledge of the wide variety of symptoms that there are that can help women um, work out whether they are perimenopausal. And it's got to be quite hard. Like we work with a lot of people who are in high pressure job roles. You know, they they're climbing the career ladder as well at this time. So sort of, you know, they've been pushing for ten more than that, twenty plus years, often in their early forties or late thirties, and things are pretty stressful anyway things are can it can it be I guess it's quite hard to distinguish where this anxiety overwhelm or stress could be coming from is it just part of the job do you have any tips to help people with that I think you're absolutely right I think there's so much that in around midlife we're dealing with if you're working you've got the work pressures you may well have young children as we're having children later you may well be looking after elderly parents and it's a time where 
you know, we talk about the midlife crisis, don't we, for, for, for men, but for women too, we're starting to say, is this job what I really want? Is it bringing me joy? Am I doing lots of the things that bring me joy or does life feel really hard? And so, you know, with financial pressures as well, we know that it's a, a common for women to have relationship problems around this time. What comes first? I don't know whether it's very menopause and then relationship problems or the other way around. Um, and, you know, so we've got high rates of divorce. We've got women feeling suicidal around this time. So I think what's really important is 25% of women will sail through it, even if their life is, is stressful. So, but then there is 25% of women who this is really impacting their quality of life. Um, and then you've got the, the sort of 50% in the middle that, one or two symptoms might be impacting them. So stress certainly impacts our sleep, our cognitive function, um, our motivation to look after ourselves, the choices we make about food and exercise. Um, but I think what there are certain things that we can do that will minimize the stress. So the mindfulness, moving more, getting out in nature, doing what brings us joy, maybe getting some support. And we find that actually for women in the perimenopause, they're in this sort of ruminating uh, phase, catastrophizing phase. So they can't make decisions that they don't want to ask for help. Um, they're very much in a sort of people pleasing everybody else and they are bottom of the list. So uh, finding time to do mindfulness, making some decisions about their work or the relationships is really tough. And then add in the joint pain, uh, the palpitations, the panic attacks. Um, you know, there are 34, at least 34 symptoms of the menopause. So I always say, look at that list and tick which things you think, and then try and work on the ones that are having the greatest impact, if it's sleep, if it's anxiety. And if you're still not getting anywhere, and hot flushes particularly, we know HRT is the most effective treatment for those. And that, dealing with the hot flushes, then knocks on to reducing um, trouble with sleep. So improving your sleep, which in turn improves your cognitive function, which in turn improves your anxiety levels. So they all sort of knock into each other. But I would choose the one that's having the greatest impact and see if you can improve that. And if you're really struggling um, with a whole variety of symptoms, seeking some um, help from your GP or practice nurse. So talking of HRT then I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about HRT there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of fear um what would you say are kind of the main myths or main fears let's let's talk about fears first of all main fears that people have around HRT and how kind of how founded are those now yeah so we even now we have not got enough research uh, and the quality of the research has been poor and a lot of these myths are based on poor quality research so my parents generation the women were 30 percent of women were taking hrt um before the davina effect um about 11 percent of women were taking hrt so we've had a decline yes over the two years we've seen an increase and we're up to about depends on what you read, about 14%. So if we think 25% of women are struggling with their symptoms, only 14%, I mean, really struggling, only 14% of women are taking HRT. So it puts it into perspective. So we've got a lot to do around education. 
I, what I hear is women say, well, I took the oral contraceptive pill. Um, I was taken off it because I had headaches or there was a risk of clots. So I'm really worried about those two aspects. The type of HRT we had when our parents were going through, the, the mums were going through the menopause has really changed. So the dosages we use are very low, so much lower than the oral contraceptive pill, that most of them are body identical. So they are made from things like yams and then um, changed and modified in, in labs. But they are not the synthetic products that we had and the high dose products and the oral products that we had um, you know, 30 years ago. So we, we know that HRT is not ruled out for ladies who have had clots, maybe had uh, migraines, like the oral contraceptive pill is. And that's because we can use estrogen through the skin, so topical estrogen. So it doesn't carry the clot risk. It doesn't carry um, the risk with migraines and things like that as well. So uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is... Um, HRT and the risk of breast cancer. What I don't feel we've done very well at educating women that 27 in a thousand women will be at risk of breast cancer anyway. That's the baseline. And the biggest impacts on breast cancer are those that are not doing any exercise, who are smoking drinking alcohol and who are overweight. So all of those things are in our control. We can reduce our risks of those. And we know doing two and a half hours of exercise a week actually reduces your risk of breast cancer. Yes, um, combined HRT, so the estrogen and the progesterone, we believe it's the progesterone that causes a slight increased risk, synthetic progesterone, slight increased risk of breast cancer is three extra cases. So we're taking it to 30 out of a thousand. Whereas if we talk about weight and we know people are uncomfortable in, in hearing some of this information, and I, I recognize that, but the reality is that it's double your risk. It doubles your risk of, of breast cancer. So anything we can do around exercising more, stopping smoking, reducing our alcohol intake and, and, and uh, managing our weight will reduce our risk. So I think that's a really big risk. The other one I see is that um, women um, try HRT and we believe that the body identical products, so uh, the more made from yams, so estrogen and progesterone. So many women are taking a, a, a natural micronized progesterone called Eutogestam, which is why it's in shortage at the moment. So mm -hmm. there may be women in your community that are struggling to get it. And what I want to say to them, yes, it might reduce some of, of our risks, the side effects, but for some women, they do need a synthetic progesterone. And that synthetic progesterone is better at uh, protecting the lining of the womb. So I see many ladies who say, oh my goodness, I've got all this ad hoc bleeding with HRT. It just doesn't seem to be working for me. And it's usually because the oral progesterone they're taking is not getting to where it's needed, which is to protect the lining of the womb. So they're getting this bleeding. So what I would say to women who have tried HRT, it's not worked. There's probably another regime that would work better for you. And having somebody who's got that expertise to say, okay, 
talk me through what your experiences were like when you took the oral contraceptive pill, what, what you use this time on HRT, what symptoms that caused, and then looking at what else is available. Because there's, a, there's um, also a new product, which is oral HRT, which is um, one tablet, and it is estrogen, um, body identical estrogen and body identical progesterone in one tablet. And I see lots of women who are using lots of gel on every part of their body, uh, and they at the maximum dose. And sometimes we just need to change how we're giving that to make sure they're absorbing as much of the HRT to have the, the most symptom control. So I think those are the myths um, around HRT that most of the women in my community will mention. And it's really interesting to hear about the different types, because I think from my experience, you know, we've worked with lots of women who are taking HRT. I'd say about half our community are taking HRT, so probably higher than the average. Um, but they're, some of them have just been given one type and then that didn't feel right or didn't feel good, didn't work for them. And then they've come straight back off it again. And they haven't really had any help with dose or forms of HRT, no. so someone taking the patch. Um so what different, you said, you said there's obviously a few different types of ones there, but what would you say to someone who's kind of had HRT maybe prescribed by a GP very quickly um, and it may be HRT hasn't worked? Is that like the end of, end of the road if it hasn't worked or are there other ways they can kind of get help with that? There is def- definitely other ways. Some, although we like to go topical HRT, some women just don't absorb very well from one particular brand. So some women get on better with a patch or a gel or a spray. Um, and so going to somebody who's got that expertise and checking the estradiol levels of how much is absorbed can be really helpful in those cases. Um, and some women, we, you know, have been put on quite a high dose. And actually what we need to do is start really low. So all almost a non-therapeutic level to just testing the water how do you feel okay now we can increase and for most of my women I will start them on a very low dose after four weeks check in with them and then we'll look at increasing um so that's definitely something that I think is needed and the abnormal bleeding is so worrying for women I understand that having um that was my speciality in, in the NHS was the abnormal bleeding on HRT And in most cases, it's absolutely fine, but it doesn't take away the worry for women. And so um, and what tends to happen is doctors say, oh, it's absolutely fine. Your scan's normal. All the biopsies are normal. You can go back on HRT without changing it. And at that point, when I saw them in my clinic, we were often saying, let's talk about the other types of progesterone that might be better suited to you to prevent this bleeding in the future. So um, I think those are the main things that if, you you know, talking to somebody and looking what the other options are, you don't have to commit to it. Uh, Just talking, finding out that information, understanding the impact it had on your body and then helping you to make a decision about what's right for you. I think it just highlights how important specialist help is. Like we often work with people who have worked with a generic fitness program or personal trainer and they haven't seen any results because you need to do things differently around menopause with fitness. But it's the same with HRT and hormones, right? It's quite a specific science. You can't, it's not a one size fits all thing. Um, in my experience mm-hmm. anyway, from what I've heard and how, how you mentioned, you kind of can check people's estradiol levels. Um, how do you actually mm-hmm. do that? I'm just, I'm interested from my own point of view and I'm sure people listening are as well. Like do you do blood <laughs> tests? Is it, is there some other yeah. way you do it? We do blood tests. Um, and that would give us an idea. Uh, we're looking at the amount of, um, 
uh, estrogen that is actually attached to the proteins, how much is free, how much is actually being active. So we're able to work that out. So, yes. Um, and quite a few of the ladies find that they're just not absorbing it and they're on the top dose that we would normally prescribe and just like it's not working and actually then when we switch sometimes to an oral product actually their symptoms are controlled better that's interesting so different types work differently for different people some people can have that really high level but it's just not being taken in or used by the body correctly so it sounds like it's it's a very individual thing and it's quite easy to get wrong and when a typical, per, you know, a, let's say someone goes through their GP, like how does that usually work in terms of getting prescribed um, HRT? Is it usually just like, do they get given the same thing all the time through the NHS? Is there limitations to what they can be given? Yeah, so we've had it at 20 years because we've seen a decline in HRT prescribing. We've lost our expertise in primary care. So there's been a real big campaign over the last um, year of really educating our healthcare professionals. So it's going to depend on how much experience that individual GP has got. Mm -hmm. Um, I train practice nurses as well because I truly believe practice nurses are an ideal place to educate women about this, ask if it could be perimenopausal and talk to them about options. But um, so we've lost expertise in, in primary care. There, so it depends on who you see. So I'd always ask uh, for who is the women's health specialist in that area, who is a menopause specialist. Um, some practices will have them, some won't. Um, and we're finding lots of women are getting referred into secondary care where there's a long wait to see a menopause expert. So it will depend on different areas. Um then there comes the postcode lottery. I would love to say that we are always using the products that have the most symptom control and a wide range of products. And unfortunately, it's not that case. You will find some products are available in your area and in other areas, they're not. We rely heavily on NICE guidance, which is some, they look at the evidence and they then make a decision on what's the best forms of treatment. But that process is slow. Um, So new products are coming to the market and and, um, the research looks good, but it's not made its way through to what we call the prescribing formulary, particularly in local areas. And so things like access um, to some of the uh, newer products like Lenzetto, which is a spray, uh, varies across the country. So there may not be as much flexibility within primary care to offer different um, products. Um, Then finally, um, testosterone as well is not available in all areas at all. So it really does depend on your local area. And this is what I'm finding is that um, we need to educate our women to be their best advocates. So um, when I first set up Flux State, my focus was on, okay, having a chat with an individual woman, talking about um, what her options were, so that she was able to go to her GP and say, these are my symptoms. This is what I've tried. This is the impact it's having on my life. This is, I would, I've read all the risks and benefits of HRT. I would now like to try HRT and I would like to try whatever she would like, say topical or oral. Um, and, that, and what I found is we had a huge success rate in women getting HRT, but when they needed to go back and, and 
you know, alter it slightly, that was where a, a challenge was. Oh. And that's when I set up my private clinic um, so that I could see women in there so that we could help them either um, if they've been told no, told they're too young, no, they can't have it, even though they can, or to tailor it or to start HRT, um, uh, being seeing them in my own clinic. And if someone is already taking HRC, but maybe it's not working quite so well, like how often to, should someone be getting, I know this isn't always happening just from speaking to clients, but how often should they be getting like a review after they've been given HRC? Well, we know what would be ideal. Ideally, it would be three months after you start a new product. We'll mm-hmm. check in with you, see how you're doing, alter the dose, make sure the side effects are okay, make sure we've got symptom control. Um, and then it's if all's good, it would be yearly. Um, a yearly review but quite often um, women are needing to get their prescription uh, repeated every month and it's just on a repeat prescription um, and they're not getting those those reviews and seeing how they're doing yeah I think it's tough isn't it like the NHS again I've never worked in the NHS I've got uh, a hernia from weightlifting I've just had a uh, text yesterday probably a year and a half after being first seen for it saying you're going to get your next appointment I actually even, luckily I'm able to manage it, but it's, the wait times are crazy. And I think I would encourage people like, if they can, if they have the means to do something sooner, because it's so, I've spoken to so many clients, if it's been so debilitating for them, um, through things like lack of motivation, um, like we've really struggled for people to, you know, to, to commit to a fitness plan, to then look after their health, to lose the weight, which as you said, is a much bigger risk factor for health problems for Mm -hmm. a lot of people than taking HRT or a lot of these other things people Mm -hmm. are scared of but they haven't had the motivation to do it until they've got the right hormonal balance back so it's it's very tricky isn't it I think um there's one the NHS would like to be able to do or should be doing these things but they don't necessarily have the capacity to do them so I guess this is where people like yourself can really help people when they check in with women after three weeks we might not get the dose right but they can already see that it's you know, the potential there, they'll say, oh my goodness, I'm sleeping better, which is making such a difference with my anxiety levels and my brain fog at work. You know, I'm not so exhausted. Um, And then they're starting to feel like they want to go to the gym and they want to be moving more and they're making healthier choices around food. Um, So we worry about HRT. Some GPs will say, I'm really worried about blood pressure. You know, you're overweight, try and lose some weight, try and get your blood pressure down first. Actually, what we know, HRT can help with the blood pressure. It can actually reduce, because of the progesterone, it has an effect on our, our blood vessels. It can actually relax them a little bit and improve our blood pressure. And what we say to women is it's not a reason to stop. Your weight's not a reason to not go on HRT. Your blood pressure is not a reason to go not go on HRT. So start it because you might see the benefits in both those areas. Um, And if your blood pressure really does need managing, then it can be managed alongside HRT. And talking of HRT and kind of managing weight, I've spoken to some people who are convinced HRT has caused them to gain weight. Some people who've found an improvement because it's then led them to be motivated to do the things they know they need to with their nutrition, with looking after themselves, whatever it may be. As far as I'm aware, it's like a broad spectrum. But in terms of HRT and weight gain, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's no research evidence that HRT causes weight gain. We For women who are not on HRT, we will see them put non-weight uh, through the perimenopausal uh, years and postmenopausal. So 
it's an it's a natural process that does happen and so um quite often we're looking at portion sizes we're looking at activity we're looking at the types of exercise women do um to help prevent the weight just gaining continually through those years but no there's no evidence and i i know women will say to me oh my goodness i'm absolutely sure but it may well be, but what else has changed? What are your stress levels like? Sleep is so important as well with weight gain. Um, and, you know, we all know what we should be doing. Quite often, when we're not feeling our best, we're not doing the things that are, that are, are going to serve us well. I, I said it in our chat in your community a couple of weeks ago that I've heard this a lot from, from new clients that have suddenly started seeing progress and they haven't been able to lose weight for years that one of the things obviously they've made changes with their nutrition with their activity but also just the fact they were told once you get to menopause or once you start getting symptoms it all goes to pot like there's there's no it almost takes away the hope and i think then people i don't know if you see this as well i see people who have stopped trying because they think there's no point trying because it's never going to work now i'm menopausal yeah I, I i hear it a lot that's one of the words that women say i just feel helpless and hopeless and that's such a shame because we know that uh, for most women when they get the other side of it their energy does improve their sleep may well improve um and you know what we also know say for ladies who have a hysterectomy and have their ovaries removed to go straight into menopause their symptoms at three three months don't get any worse from there. That's as bad as it's going to get. So it's not that it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse and it's going to get Actually, it's going to get better. We've just got to get you through this challenging time. But health in our midlife is so important if we want to live healthily in our 60s, 70s and 80s. So protecting our bones, protecting our heart. This is the time that to start putting in the habits that are going to serve you well later on. So I think you're right. I think there's, they're not sure what to do. And if we're being honest, my goodness, we are told conflicting information all the time, aren't we? So actually, when we're trying to find evidence-based information, it gets lost in the headlines. And there's always a new diet that we should be trying and, you know, a new exercise that we should be trying. But actually, when we come down to it, it's going back to the basics uh, um, and, you know, and it's, it's a combination of things that works. Yeah, moving more, eating less. I mean, you know, it does make a difference, but it's the sleep as well. It's reducing stress um, and it's putting things in place to help you do the things that, you know, will serve you well. So, it, you know, when I was running, putting my trainers, my clothes right by the bed. So it's the first thing I put on. So, yes, I'm running to work. Um, if I didn't do that, I'd think, oh, I'll just jump in the car because I'm running a bit late. Um, so putting, you know, preventing the hurdles that we have to make it really difficult for us to move more. And I think one thing you mentioned earlier I want to come back to is testosterone. So mm. talking about motivation here making sure you obviously put habits in place to make it easier to do the right things. But also there are hormones that can affect things like motivation, right? And I think testosterone is a key one. Um, I'm, I'm, am I right in saying you can take this as uh, on top of kind of the estrogen and progesterone in HRT in some cases? Like when when would this be prescribed and what for? So it's not prescribed 
all through the country, unfortunately. And mm. the main reason is, is that we've not got the research to say mm-hmm. the benefits for women. So it was only ever researched for libido. So low libido, it, we can prescribe it on the NHS. Anything else, we don't. But let's talk about how women are in their 20s and 30s before the perimenopausal. Testosterone, we have you know, two times as much as estrogen, two to three times as much as estrogen. So it's definitely one of those hormones we're relying on. It's giving us improved focus. Concentration is really key, like being able to um, laser focus on one thing and concentrate for longer periods of time. It helps us with sleep. It helps us with making decisions. It's our energy pack. It's the it's the hormone that helped us, you know, work hard and play hard and get up the next morning and be okay. Um, And as that starts to decline in our perimenopausal, this is where that drive goes. Now, we do know women quite often talk about the drive returns, that fire in the belly after menopause. They can become, you know, big fighters for different causes and, you know, lots of charity work or changing their work, setting up their business. But in the perimenopause, it all feels really hard. So what we know is that if we just gave women testosterone on its own, it would convert to estrogen. So the most important takeaway thing is that you've got to get your estrogen levels optimized first. You've got to have your progesterone to protect your lining of the womb if you have a womb. And then testosterone can be added on top. And if we pay attention to the research, that would only be for libido. But there is more work going on about the benefits for cognition, focus, um, the fat um, muscle ratio our metabolic rate. There's so much that we're that women are telling us they see an improvement in, but we've not got the actual uh, randomized control trial evidence, the strongest type of evidence to say um, it, it would have those benefits. Um, so, and the other ch- challenge with testosterone is we don't have a female product in this country. So we're using male products and then reducing the dose, which makes it anybody here in the communities on testosterone trying to work out what the size of a pea is. Is that, you know, is that like a big pea, garden pea? Is it a tiny, you know? So, and I hear women say, oh my gosh, there's no science to this. No, we don't, you know, so we need to monitor you really carefully to make sure we've got the right levels. Um, There is a product in Australia that is made for women, and I hope that we will see that come over to the UK once we've got some stronger evidence. But I definitely see a benefit for the women in my in my clinic where we've got their estrogen optimized first and then we're adding in testosterone. Yeah, it's a really that's an exciting area, I think. Also, from a weight loss point of view, like you said, testosterone is very important for people with more testosterone are typically leaner, um, stronger, can build muscle, which will make you firm and toned and it kind of alleviate a lot of signs of aging. Obviously, you also don't want too much of it. There's negatives if you have loads, but they can get that right. And again, it's all about, from what I'm hearing, it's all about optimizing those levels again, which kind of are not so optimal around menopause. Now, you talked about things improving when you're kind of through the perimenopause so these changes that are happening in the run-up to clinical menopause where you go 12 months without a period now when does that typically happen for people because i think for people in the midst of it are probably thinking okay so it sounds like things get better again like obviously again i'm imagining it's a spectrum right but is there is there any guidelines or hope you can give people that about when it might get better 
Well, I hear a lot of women say that their cognition just comes back, their memory, they're not so forgetful, you know, and I hear women say, oh my goodness, I'm worried about dementia and Alzheimer's and that's been in the news. But actually, those are signs where it just continually declines, whereas actually Mm -hmm. in, in menopausal women, we're seeing them finding that their confidence is growing. When that happens, it's it's difficult isn't it because for some women you know home life might be settled their children might have grown up uh, they might not have elderly parents or they may have got some care provision for their elderly parents to take the pressure off and that's when they're you know they're able to feel more confident more energized sleeping better so I think it's difficult to know when that will happen but I hear a huge number of women say that they feel better after the menopause um but when i don't know i'm i'm waiting for that answer too (laughs) i know i told you about my mum before and she's 63 and she's still having hot flushes um so obviously it's different for everyone i think that's typical um luckily i'm lucky i'm a male so i don't have that passed down to me but it sounds really tough and is, is there is there any link between what your parents have gone through or what your mother's gone through or grandmother like is there any consistency with what they've gone through with menopause and what you might experience or is is there is there no kind of correlation when I see siblings in families they can be really different and then Mm. there can also be other siblings who it's exactly the same and similar to their mum so there probably is a, a genetic component and the reason I say that is because we know Um, women who have got um, Down syndrome go through the menopause earlier. Uh, We know that black women and Asian women slightly go a little bit earlier than Caucasian women. So I think there is some kind of genetic component. Um, So some women will just really struggle. I see women in their 70s and 80s who are still having hot flushes. One of the things that makes hot flushes worse is this it comes back to our belief and our mindset because hot flushes basically are coming from a narrowed thermo neutral zone. So the zone between being hot and cold is wider in men. It is narrower in women. So, you know, mm. my husband, if he gets hot, he's got time to take his sweatshirt off. He's got time to turn the heating down, open a window, have a cold glass of water, maybe go outside. For me, as a, a perimenopausal woman, we've got a narrowing of our neutral zone. So the, the point between where we're too hot or too cold is like seconds. And so there's very little, or we feel we have very little control, but we know things like cognitive behavioral therapy, we can stretch that zone. And so um, by calming our nervous system down, so by taking some deep breaths, by uh, how we're speaking to ourselves, the self-compassion we have. So if I'm in a, say I'm presenting with you now and I think, oh my goodness, I'm feeling hot, you know, and the cards are quickly coming off and then I'm forgetting what I'm saying and I'm starting to get anxious and it's, I'm thinking everyone looking at me going what a hot you know sweaty mess that lady is actually it's going to make that hot flush worse it's having a greater impact on me so in each moment of time we can make a decision about how we feel about that moment in time our beliefs around it what we need in that moment and each of that can change the behavior that it causes and in turn it sort of has a domino effect on on increasing the intensity of that symptom. So cognitive behavioural therapy can be really good for women, say, who've had breast cancer, women who are a little bit older, who are still getting hot flushes. 
um, and um, ladies who even on you know HRT they're feeling some um, in, in certain situations when they're forgetting words it's adding to the stress and they get in palpitations for example or yeah so there's a real direct relink around our mindset and our beliefs and the impact intensity and severity of symptoms that's really fascinating because I think even as a man obviously not going through um, hormonal changes like this I've, I've noticed um, if, if you get really stressed you can feel suddenly really hot so I'm guessing it's just like an exaggerated version of that where you know you're panicking you get stressed and then you're like oh my god and now I'm sweating you know like let's say you've got to talk on stage in front of people you want to do public speaking yeah. you start sweating and you're like what is going on here <laughs> it's not even a hot day so I guess it's that but like turned up to 11 yeah it is and for some women you know they're having you know so many episodes lots of women don't recall how many they have at night and they say well I'm having you know three or four hot flushes a night and actually they're probably having even more than that they're having sort of mini ones um but are not aware of it so their impact on night sweats on sleep is massive and then if they're tired the next morning that's going to have a domino effect on them having more hot flushes the following day um so it's sort of a vicious circle really so you know for me if i'm having a hot flush we talk in our community about what else we can call it so we some women call them a tropical moment or a power surge you know you know if i'm on stage and i'm starting to feel hot i'm like oh this is the power the energy within me helping me to come across in the best way so it's that change it's it's just yeah it's changing your beliefs around it there's nothing is black and white or fact with our minds we think our minds it's all fact a lot of the time we make up the stories we make up our beliefs about things and so we can change them we can change the story we have around things so menopause is is not depressing it's not hopeless we're not helpless there are things we can do and actually we've got a whole third of our life post menopause and I don't bet anyone else but I want to make the most of that I want to be healthy and I want to um, be moving and exercising and enjoying life so anything I do now can help with that definitely you mentioned even things like alzheimer's there's more and more research to people obviously that's something one people want to try and avoid or alleviate i've got family history on my mum's side of alzheimer's and i'm really interested in hearing anything about it and there's research now coming out that resistance training is really like specific types of exercise can really help alleviate alzheimer's risk i'm sure there's all sorts of other things as well um I actually want to come back to hot flushes very quickly and then we'll, we'll yeah. go on to some other things um, because I think we've talked about the, the the psychological side of it. So you can kind of, it can become worse. If you have one way of thinking, it can become a lot better or at least it won't necessarily continue to spiral with other ways of thinking. But what, in my experience, there's also different things you can do in terms of what you eat, what you drink that can impact Absolutely. hot flushes. It's not just a psychological thing so there's things that can make that a lot worse what things do you see inside your practice or your community that can help with hot flushes and also can make them a lot worse mm. being aware of your triggers for hot flushes mm. can be really important particularly if you've got an event where you want to try and minimize their impact so we know things like hot food spicy food can increase them caffeine alcohol some people it's sugar um, yeah. all of those can increase um, hot flushes um, stress yeah. um, so that they're the, the main things that can impact it yeah the ones I'm most aware of is that like caffeine alcohol and sugar they're all like 
pouring petrol on the fire. And for a lot of the time, the people we work with before they've again come to work with us, often they're relying on a lot of those things because they're very stressed from, again, a lot of them have really successful careers, but it's very stressful. So they're like unwinding in the evening with a glass of wine, but the bottle's open, so might as well finish the bottle. Then their sleep is disturbed from it. They're having hot flushes at night, so then they have a terrible night's sleep. Then the next day they're tired, so then they're using caffeine, you know, throughout the day to get through the hard work day. And then they're really stressed again because they've, they're overtired and they've had a busy work day, so then they're having more alcohol and it becomes this like vicious cycle that you kind of I don't know if you see this as well in your community but it's it's, it's you kind of just have to stop all of it and go cold turkey I don't know if you have any other tactics you suggest to people who are in that kind of cycle yes. yeah I I've done both I've I've given up caffeine and I've given up alcohol I didn't I've, I found it quite hard to do both but September's coming so we can set that intention yeah. so I did six months of no caffeine and six months of, of no alcohol and it's amazing how the social pressures around both of mm. those are so I think really tuning in with why you're doing it it's really important because definitely I noticed an improvement in my sleep when I wasn't drinking alcohol um, and, and caffeine was definitely a crutch that I was having more than I needed. So, yes, I think you're absolutely right. I like to see the menopause instead of a downward spiral. We get a we get a chance to stop, pause, clean slate and climb up. Yeah. So how we want to do that is really important. So. I think what we see in, in our community, and I expect you see the same, is this, this, oh, well, what's the point? I've had one coffee this morning. What's the point? Each day is a new day and a new opportunity. Each moment in time is a new opportunity to have a choice. Um, and we're not going to always get it right. But, you know, one cup of coffee, one glass of wine, it doesn't mean it's all over. And I think really tuning in to why you want that coffee what is that need you have for the coffee is it really coffee or is it actually that you wanted to get up from your desk and you wanted to um and and you really wanted to get up from your desk and move maybe that's what it was you know and actually just getting up and putting the kettle on and making a coffee has become habit so I talk to women about really tuning into what they need what they want and then asking myself, is that going to give me what I want? Because bad habits come from a place of when we're not okay. So tuning into how we get to ourselves to be okay so we can make the right choices is important. So instead of downward spiral, I ask women to just stop, pause, take a deep breath, turn direction and head up. I love that, seeing it as like a new opportunity because it's kind of a tipping point where you can set up the rest of your life for kind of long healthy as or long as you know as, as, as healthy as you can for as long as you can around this age with your decisions or people can have a very big decline i've seen from like the age of 50 60 onwards and there's some people you see who are 65 and you think god they look like they're almost 80 and there's some people who look you know the same as they did 15 years ago by doing yes. the right things and i think it's a, it's a really important point you said as well around i didn't mean you have to cut it out forever so it's it's about going yeah. you are getting a benefit from those things there's no we don't do anything because there's no benefit so like alcohol at the end of the day is giving us a relief because work's been really stressful maybe we can get relief in another way with coffee it's it's maybe just a nice treat i love a coffee i've got a really nice decaf coffee that i have that i don't really notice the difference if i'm absolutely exhausted i might use caffeine in the morning but not in the afternoon because that's when it's yes. most likely to affect sleep I think it's having the knowledge about how you can make these things work. So save the alcoholic drink for a special occasion or for the weekend or 
but get that relief during the week another way so that you're not got this massive sleep deficit so i think it's really important to, to kind of learn how to absolutely in and enjoy them and not just say i'm not allowed yes. them and it's miserable yeah absolutely and i see this with sleep as well that women are say i'm really not sleeping very well and then when you start to talk about okay what are you drinking in the evening while you're drinking late afternoon they're, they're having a you know a coffee you know at four o'clock five o'clock even later they're drinking alcohol they're working late they're working on their laptops until 11 12 at night and then yeah. they're trying to get to sleep and they're saying oh, I'm really struggling it's so easy sometimes isn't it when we shine a mirror somebody yeah. else shines that mirror and you go I kind of know what I need to do but actually doing it is quite hard so I think in that time it's like well you can choose what, you, what you, your intention to particularly tonight is to really, you know, give yourself some self-compassion and self-care. And, and, you know, in the same way as we do with small children, you know, it's a bath, it's dimmed lights, it's no screen, it maybe put some music on, maybe read a book, and then it's lights out, I don't know, 10, 10.30. And see it as a treat, see it as you're really caring for your body. Um, rather than seeing is, you know, okay, the work's going to still be there tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow might need to be a late night because I'm going to need to push through because I've got something mm. that needs to be delivered. But uh, taking those opportunities when you can um, really prioritise your sleep and your health and well-being. And I think you can get away with it more when you're younger. Like, I mean, I would still sleep horribly if I had caffeine all afternoon and alcohol and work. Like, I sometimes do at least some of those things and I'm like wide awake you know lying in bed at midnight so even without all the menopausal symptoms it can be a really bad cocktail for that but i think it's a good time as you said to reflect and say okay maybe i could get away with this pushing powering through in my 30s 20s now I, my body is kind of saying you can't keep doing this and live a long healthy life now we've talked a lot about hrt it's not necessarily right for everyone or not everyone wants to go down that route first and we've also talked about lifestyle factors so like different things you can do in terms of um your psychology cognitive behavioral therapy food drink sleep what other things are there like any supplements are there any other things people can do who don't want to take hrt or can't take hrt to, to manage menopause symptoms there's strong research in the women who have had breast cancer that cognitive behavioural therapy can really reduce the severity and impact of um, hot flushes, night sweats, anxiety and low mood and therefore knocking and improving sleep. So that's definitely something that for that particular group of women who cannot take HRT, mm -hmm. um, it can really support them through a, quite a difficult time. Some of those women will have been on HRT, known it how good it is and how it works for them and then had to stop it. And that's really hard. Then the other um, things that are available is we know there is some evidence for some complementary therapy treatment. So we know acupuncture for some women really helps with joint pain, can really help um, with hot flushes. The research isn't as strong in that area, but I would say, you know, if you find reflexology, you find massage, you find acupuncture really helpful, then do that. Gift yourself that. If you find you get a sense of relaxation or some easing of some of your symptoms, then do it. We so feel like, you know, it can't all be about evidence. If it makes you feel good, then it's doing you some good. 
um, regarding, you know, complementary therapy. Um, regarding the herbal, you know, there's so many vitamins now, isn't there, out there? It's really difficult to know. Do you take, a, a, you know, like a mixed one or do you just target or do you say, I've got problems with sleep, I'm going to take that? I think it's really confusing for, for women around this time. Um, and what I would say is healthy eating is always key focus on that focus on getting your your the vitamins and minerals you need from your food and then possibly supplementing on areas that you decline lots of the women i find who don't do well when we do a trial of hrt they're sometimes you know deficient of um vitamin b or d and so actually getting that optimized first and then coming back to hrt can really help that group of women so um i tend tend to use them in that way when we know there's a deficit then add it in and then herbal remedies you know you have to take quite a bit of soya to see an improvement um so for some of the women i see they see a benefit early on with red clover soya uh, sage but then as they get further into the perimenopause it doesn't have the same impact so i'm not gonna and there is some evidence that it helps with vasomotor symptoms but it certainly doesn't happen with improve other symptoms uh, like the joint pain. A lot of the women I see will say that their joints and their knees, their hips, their shoulders, which can make exercising really difficult, but also mm-hmm. in their wrists and hands. Um, just even getting out of bed and walking across the room, can, their soles of their feet hurt. Um, so, you know, then we need HRT can be really beneficial in that case. So try it, see how it goes. I don't believe there's one way. For me, I use a combination. I use acupuncture for my shoulders because I have shoulder pain, frozen shoulder. I use HRT and I use CBT and I take antidepressants because my anxiety can sometimes get out of control. So I see this point of time as a jigsaw puzzle. What do you need in different areas and combining it all to make this unique package for you to help you navigate through the menopause? And it's quite hard. Let's say you're doing a jigsaw without the box. It's quite hard to do a jigsaw when you don't know what you're trying to build. So I think that's where obviously people like yourself um, can really come in to help people to see, okay, this this is the combination that will make me feel best. So where where can people go like to find out more about what you do, um, whether it's the, the private clinic, whether it's the CBT or just, I know you have a free group as well. Like where's the best people place for people to go yeah absolutely so my company's called flux state so i have a community on facebook which is private um and there's two and a half thousand women in there so come and join us lots of people sharing um uh, asking questions lots of fantastic support and advice in there so that's called flux state dash menopause then uh, if you go to my website um www.fluxstate all one word .co.uk and then you can download a free um ebook on the 34 symptoms of menopause so you can go through and see how many of those you've got and you can also look at some self-help and we also talk about when to ask for help as well for those symptoms and you can book an appointment for my clinic uh, all the details are on my website amazing well i'll drop all of the links into the show notes so thank you, you. Can look those up as well well i want to say catherine thank you so much for joining me for today's episode it's been fascinating i've still got way more questions so i'm sure the listeners do as well um but that's been a really good insight into um into the myths into the truths and also the different things people can do to kind of help with menopause so thank you very much so thank you for listening to today's episode of the trinity podcast if you've enjoyed today's episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app 
so you don't miss future shows. And also please leave us a quick review. It only takes two minutes. We do all of these shows completely for free to help you. So we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all. So thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the Trinity Podcast.